This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. This month, we are teaming up with igotout.org, a consortium of cult survivors supporting the I Got Out movement of activism and education to help shine light on the commercial cults more commonly known as multi-level marketing. Throughout the month of November, follow along with us on social media as we share MLM statistics, cult education, survivor stories, and ways that you can join in on the movement. Visit igotout.org to share your MLM experience and share your I Got Out selfie using the hashtags I Got Out and I Got Out of an MLM on social media. Freedom of thought is a universal human right. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros, a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into the episode. want to let you know that today we are going to be talking about Heaven's Gate, which was a cult throughout the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and unfortunately ended in the late 90s with a mass suicide. So the trigger warning here today is that we're going to be talking about a mass suicide, and there are details about it, and um, it is a pretty tragic story. So I just wanted to give you the heads up. There are also some really great educational links in the show notes. If you don't know about Heaven's Gate, or this is the first time that you're hearing about it, and if you're interested or curious and you want to learn more, there's definitely more information in the show notes for you if you're interested. I also want to say thank you so much to the great response to the Amway Tools Cult episode. It was one of my favorites too. I love the history of MLM and learning about these shady businesses and all the nefarious deeds that they are doing behind the scenes. I can't wait to have Sean back to tell us some more MLM history. I also want to remind you that if you have a cult story you would like to share, that you can go ahead and email or send a voice message or submit those at outofmlm.info. All of those links are also in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today is a bonus episode. I know we like to talk about MLMs, and that's usually what we talk about, but we also like to talk about cults. And whenever I get the chance to talk to somebody who was either in one or very close to somebody, I jump at the chance because I think it's a really great educational and just also kind of entertaining to see how things played out. So I would love to welcome to the show, my friend, Leslie Fear. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Roberta. How are you? So good. (laughs) I met Leslie a while back. I was on her podcast. Uh, We talked uh, obviously about LuLaRoe and being in a cult, Um, (laughs) a really great podcast. You guys should definitely check it out. I host a podcast called Because I Want to Know. It's a paranormal true crime podcast. I cover anything between near-death experiencers, ex-cult members, psychic mediums, Um, I also talk to people that have been in true crime stories, um, who have those kinds of things going on in their lives. And I tell you, I, but I talk to anybody and everybody who interests me and it doesn't have to be true crime or paranormal. It can be, I interviewed a guy who was a hot air balloon pilot. I'm like, how do you steer the damn thing? So, So he's like, I'll be on your podcast. It's just a plethora. And you can cherry pick the episodes. If you don't want to hear about paranormal, you can hear about a bomb hunter that just got back from Iraq, or you can hear about a a man who preps people for prison. He went to prison and was scared to death, got out, started prepping people for it. It was just, it's just amazing that people like it to talk to. And I love the whole concept of because I want to know and the name of your podcast, obviously, (laughs) because I think there are times where you just, there's this morbid curiosity of things. You just want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not because you're like weird or you're like a you know, like want to offend anybody or make fun of anybody. You're just (laughs) really genuinely curious. I want to know what a mortician does all day. Yeah. And I found out. (laughs) Yeah. 
you and I have been trying to connect and yes. uh, I, I live the craziest life. So today for this special bonus episode, we are going to be talking about a cult that actually is local and, and near to, and dear to my heart because of that case. This happened in 1997 mm-hmm. here in San Diego, and we are going to talk about the Heaven's Gate cult. Wow. So, yeah. Leslie, please explain why this cult is near and dear to you and what your connection to it is. Well, unfortunately, we're going to talk about Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Bonnie uh, Nettles and Marshall Applewhite started the cult Heaven's Gate. Um, They would go to colleges and put out pamphlets and try to get members to come in. And we probably should go back to his beginning, but I'll tell you right now, my grandmother was one of the first members, Lorraine Wilbur, that's on my mother's side. My mother was never involved, but her sister and her other sister were involved. So (laughs) I know it's insane. So it was, so it was Lorraine's two other daughters, Sharon, Walsh and Judy Rowland. Now, Judy Rowland was my mother's half sister. All of these women, and even my mom to a certain degree, but my mom was never involved in the cult, they would leave their kids. It was just what they did. You would just leave. Like your grandmother, I never met her until I, she just showed up at my high school graduation. And I'm like, who is this woman? And my mom's like, oh, well, that's your grandmother. And I'm like, okay, great. Meet her. She goes away for a few years. Then she comes back right after the group commits suicide and comes to see me after, right after I have my, my son. And I don't even know who this, I had no idea any of this was going on, by the way. My mom was like, hey, your aunt was just found after committed suicide and pe- don't talk to People Magazine. Don't talk. <laughs> what is going on? What an interesting yeah. phone call to receive, right? Yeah, like, don't right? talk to People Magazine when they call. You're like, yeah. what is happening? I'm like, what are you talking Because they're trying to get a hold of her. Anyway. For the longest time, she forbade us to talk about it. But so that's kind of the preface. But let me tell you about Marshall Applewhite. He was born in 1931 to a Presbyterian pastor. So kind of get that in your head. Because when he grew up, he was always in theater. He was a great singer. Dude could sing. Okay. Was even in some musicals when he got a little older with um, Joan Van Ark. Do you remember her from Knott's Landing? What? Really? Yeah, he was even in a musical, I think, Annie Get Your Gun with her. And they even interviewed her and she was like, he was fantastic. And she had nothing but good things to say. And that was then. But as time went on, and we're talking 50s, 60s, early 70s, um, especially though when it was earlier on, you don't go to your father, who's a Presbyterian pastor, and say, Dad, guess what? I'm gay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So his dad completely disowned him. Completely. And, but I think that was the beginning of his undoing. I think that was the beginning of his unraveling. And every time you, t- you hear him talk about his father, he'll tear up in, in film. Like you'll see him, his breath will hitch. I mean, when he talks about his dad, because it was so hurtful to him, I'm sure. And back then it's way more acceptable. Now, if you're gay, you're gay, get over it. But back then it just wasn't acceptable. And he was not going to be associated with the child that was gay. Wow, so yeah. that was the beginning of that. Because it's not necessarily you want to go in and, and become a cult member. That's not, oh, let's, let's not, you know, let's do that. No, you don't, nobody goes in doing that or thinking that way. But I do think that people go in going, hey, I'm not accepted here. These people really love me. They want me to come in their group. I like what they have to say. They make me feel good. I'm going to go in and see what it's all about. And I think the desperation for other people that were maybe searching for spirituality in the 60s and 70s. It was all about free love and psychedelics and we're seeing all these cool things and mushrooms are coming out of the ground and they're purple. And, you know, I mean, (laughs) so people were trying to find spirituality. I know that was going on with my family members. So Lorraine was one of the first members with Bonnie and Applewhite, tea and dough. This is the 29th of September, 1996. I'm Doe. Doe probably doesn't mean anything to many of you. To those that have heard of Doe, I might relate Doe to Tian Doe of UFO 2 or, or of a UFO cult that made some splash in the news in 1975. And you know where they got the Tian Doe, right? Sound of Music, right? The Sound of Music. That was Bonnie Nettles' favorite film. And 
when they got together, they would go to these colleges. Somehow it got in the hands of my grandmother and her daughter, Sharon, which is my mother's full sister. They kind of got in the group and they were searching for whatever they were searching for, some kind of religious freedom, spirituality. You know, we've never been, and even in my family, we've never been religious. We've been spiritual, but not really religious. And that's kind of just how they were too. So everybody's searching for everything. Some of you have heard some efforts that we have had to try to share a little bit of what we have learned with the public periodically between 1975 and now. We put out a statement called 88 Update in 1988, and we've, we did a little videotape uh, a little while after that. I think it was 90, 92. These people seem to know what they're doing. And, you know, there's a certain aspect in our family, I'm sure, that, hey, we're open to, okay, there's aliens? Cool. All right. There's a ship waiting for us, taking us away to another level? All right. I'm listening to this. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> also at great. the same time, like, so this is the early 70s. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of like new ageism. There's a lot of that spiritualism. There's a lot of sci-fi that is coming into mm -hmm. popular culture. It's something that people don't know. They don't understand. It's mm -hmm. new. And yes. I, I mean, those are also like some of the best ingredients for creating something like this. A movement is taking those new popular ideas and, and sort of making a community out of it. And that's essentially what it started off as. Now, today is quite a different urgency. It's urgent to me. It's urgent to the students that sit before me. <clears throat> Our reason for speaking to you is because we feel urgently to warn you of what we are about to say. Right. And Bonnie was really the driving force with this because when he, he, he went into the hospital for something, I can't remember what Apple White went in for. It was something. And she was his nurse. That's how they met. I think he kind of confided in her. And I think she kind of had a crush on him, even though that would never have happened with him. They got really close. And he was like, you know, I've never been accepted. My father, she goes, you know what? You've just never been around me. I will take care of you. I think you are the next level. She was all into the UFO stuff. She was all into ufology, all those things that made him go, wait a minute, somebody accepts me. My father wouldn't, you love me and you don't hardly know me okay, well, let me tag along with you for a while. And so she kind of indoctrinated him in her thoughts. And she said, you really are the second coming of Christ. We think you are. We, that's what we think you are. You're, we're we're going to go with that. Yeah. Those and are he, really powerful words yeah. to say to somebody who's floundering and vulnerable and looking for acceptance. Yeah. But oh, not only that, do we want to be your friend, but we think you're God too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, but that, but that religious background, massive doctrination of, of religion. And I'm not picking on religion. I'm just saying that was his background. That's all he knew. And when your father or your mom or whoever, both of them completely disown you, you are, you are dying for someone to accept you because he'd already been kicked out yeah. of, of a music school. He was one of the music professors there. He was kicked out because he had a relationship with one of the, uh, oh. one of the members. So it got kicked. So it's, it's a constant being shoved away from every possible aspect of his happiness, whether it's in theater, whether it's his family, whether it's whomever, friends, you know, because nobody talked about it back then in the 60s. Nobody, you, you couldn't openly be that way. You just couldn't do that. And she accepted him. She said, listen, come with me. I know the answers. I got, I got, I got gotcha. you. So he's like, okay, I'm coming. And that's what he did. And I don't think a lot of people know that Bonnie Nettles was the one that kind of started this whole thing with him. Yeah, I've always seen him as sort of the figurehead, probably because mm -hmm. he was the one that sort of outlasted. Bonnie is a really big part of this. Yeah, she's she's the she's the start of the of the UFO and the Star Trek, and she loved all those things. And he was just like, okay, I'm accepted. I'll agree to all this. And so they went into these colleges and started recruiting people, and they had like almost 200 members. They had a ton of people thinking, okay, they've got great things to say, and. There, maybe there is a UFO ship we're waiting for, and maybe we are ascending to another dimension, and maybe we should just go on and 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 just become one with God, and you know what? Let's do that. 
And they, and you know, some people got up and left. Some people were like, you know, Hey, just like we said, they were searching for some kind of spiritual awakening or some kind of spiritual, they were getting fulfilled in their normal life and they followed them. So when they were in, you know, in all these different places, they moved around a lot because they needed more money every time. It's typical cult thing. They had like a, an investor. They had like a rancher. They had a guy that gave all of his inheritance. I mean, it was just all this money. So they were able to get a lot of money. Not toward the end, they got even more money. But like at the beginning, they were able to go and, and move around and and recruit people. And the more people they got, the more money they got. Absolutely. Got, you're, yeah. you're talking about moving around, recruiting and getting money. I mean, I feel yeah. like that's every single MLM scam and cult yep. out there, right? Like that's the yep. first red flag that there's a massive group of people that are trying to convince you of how great it would be if you joined them. Well, and we love you. And we want you to be a part of this and we accept you. And I know you're desperate. You want people to love you. And you know what? We will love you. You don't have, and you don't need to be friends with anybody else but us. Right. And we this, see in you what no one else can see. That's exactly what happened. And that is a similarity that's kind of scary if you think about it. Yeah. Wow. That's scary. Okay. All right. So, so the yeah. ultimate mega hun, uh, Bonnie Nettles, is <laughs> touring the country, <laughs> recruiting people children from college campuses into yeah, her yeah. ufology cult right and it, i think the youngest was 16 at one point but so they uh decide when they start getting a pretty good amount they they start really trying to act like as one like a like a crew like they they cut their hair like monks and they abstain from sex and uh the men even decided at one point to get castrated most of them did and <laughs> yeah so uh and it was just because they wanted to be, they thought the purer you are, the closer to God you are. And of course he's the God or, or at least the, the standing one right there. So we all need to be pure. And they had people watching them. You had you and your partner and they would make you accountable. And if someone, if some man, and this is getting kind of weird, some man had a sexual dream, he would have to report it, clean it up. And then he would have to go a test for his sins. Yeah. In his dream? In his dreams. That should not be happening. Yeah. Oh, so oh my God, I could just... not imagine being punished mm-hmm. for the dream that I had and then voluntarily told somebody about. It. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, because they, they I, I don't know how, why they would think that they couldn't just not say anything. <laughs> I, I would just be like, I didn't dream about anything, actually. It was a very uh, dreamless number. Uh, Thank you very Yeah, I much. don't even know what you're talking about. What's going on? So, but they had accountable. And the thing is, they were so indoctrinated and so trained and so um, will wanting to people pleaser, trying to get people to love them and trying to get their community to just trust and love them. All of them were like that. And in the case with both of my aunts, so my grandmother, after about uh, five years left. She was getting a little older. She decided to leave the group. Okay. But she would stay in touch with him and she would talk to Applewhite. And I think Applewhite came to her house a couple times, probably to get money. So Sharon left too later. And Sharon even went against the cult to t- try to talk badly about them. And that was good. She tried to say, don't do this. This is a bad thing. And she ended up dying of uh, breast cancer years later. And so they weren't able to interview her, but she was one of the few that um, did try to say, this is not good. Don't do this. But Judy went to go see her mother at one point. They had like gold bars. You know, those old gold bars? Like they had a ton of gold bars and they were like, going to give this to Apple. What's <laughs> going on? So it's like they, they would use cash. They would use savings. They would use gold bars, coins, everything they could to get their hands on money, right? Everything they could to keep it going. So I have a question. Okay, so it's Sharon Morgan, right? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm doing some Googling. She was Walsh at one point, but now. Right. So their first follower, Sharon Morgan, is your aunt. Mm -hmm. Is my my Um, full aunt. Your full aunt. And it says (laughs) in May of 1974, she abandoned her children to Mm -hmm. join T and Joe. A month later, she decided to go back to her family. And during this time, Bonnie and Marshall are arrested because Mm -hmm. they were using her credit cards. Yeah. Well, and he got arrested a couple times because he was like, he took a rental car and said it was divinely um, assigned to him. So he, he stole a rental car too. I mean, they were just like, 
Well, the charges were later dropped because yeah. your aunt was like, no, I no, gave them my fine. cards to use. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. And later she says, oh, this isn't good and all the things. But at the time, there are things that I am finding out as I go, because here's the deal. My mom was involved. And when it all happened, my mom forbade us to talk about it. This is the first time I've ever talked about any of this ever, except for one other podcast. And that was on my podcast. And I, I interviewed Judy's daughter, Cindy, who was eight when she left her daughter and her brother was six and she did not talk to the media. They wanted to talk to her so badly and she wouldn't for years. And finally I was able, cause I didn't even know her very well. I didn't know any of these people very well. I knew them, met them a few times. None of us were close. The moms always left. It was just a disaster. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton doll, scoop neck tee, and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect, effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. finding out some of this stuff at the time in 97 when everyone else is finding out on the news. And I'm like, what is going on with the people that are in my family? <laughs> How are it's you? It's totally wild. But I mean, she's the OG. Yeah. She, yeah. She's their first follower. Where did Sharon meet them at college in a college setting somewhere? Uh, you know, and that's what I don't know. And, and that's what Cindy and I were trying to piece timelines together because she didn't know Sharon's part of the family. She didn't really know my mother very well. She knew Lorraine who was the mother of 
Sharon and Judy. So we don't know if she if, if it was on a college campus or it, if it was something else. They would put pamphlets out everywhere and some some people would find him or not or whatever. I don't know where every place was that they put pamphlets out. Somehow she found them. And Sharon, she wasn't in a bad marriage. I don't think she was in a bad marriage, but I know Judy had a very narcissistic husband and she was very not happy in her marriage, like really not happy. I think that was the beginning of her downfall. And I was talking to Paranormal Karen. I don't know if you know who that is. That's another podcast. And she and I were talking about this and she said, you know, I I think it's funny. And and this is a good point. She goes, you know how on that 70s show, Ashton Kutcher gets back with what's her, what's her face, right? Jackie. Jackie. And she, and one of the guys that he's friends with, can't think of him and hide or something. Say, why are you back with her? And he goes, because I don't have to think. (laughs) Right. Everything was so regimented. Every minute of their day, six minute showers, two or three to a bed, but you weren't, you weren't getting much sleep. Hence the cult. They would constantly have things to do. There was never downtime and not much sleep. You couldn't have feelings for anyone else. It was such an indoctrinative kind of way of looking at it. It's like Stockholm syndrome. It really is. And once they're so into this and they're accepting that they can keep a journal and Cindy actually got a hold of one of her mom's journals. And she said it was so boring to read, but that was her life. She didn't want any responsibility. She wanted every minute of her life planned out. And it was just so strange to her. And yet it made her understand even more, but still not understand other aspects because there was a time they let all of them come home for a little while to say goodbye. And that's when I met Judy. Yeah. Wow. So like, Throughout the 70s and 80s, they're just sort of traipsing across the country, Mm -hmm. doing these big spiritual chats and like recruiting up to 20 to 30 people per event. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they need the money. Some people would get up and walk out like, okay, you're talking about UFOs. You're talking about he is the Christ. And, And for years, I think they got tired after a while. Because they kept thinking a, a spaceship was coming for them. They wanted the next level. They were the vehicles and they wanted the next level. They were convinced a spaceship was coming for them. Hence why Hale Bop was the actual thing they decided to, that was their their cue. Oh, well, we got to do this. And at one point there was conspiracy theory, like on the news or something. It looks like there's a UFO behind this behind Hale Bop. And when they heard that, that was it. Okay. All right. That they were it. like, wait a second. That's our ride. That's Bonnie. She came back to get us. Right. So I do remember this. Um, I'm from San Diego, born and raised. Mm-hmm. It was 1997. I was 16 years old in high school. Mm-hmm. I remember this on the news. It was like the thing. Oh, yeah. Pictures of the bunks with the shrouds and the Nikes. Yeah. You know why they got the Nikes? Well, they all dress the same, but right. they literally got a good deal on them. It was that like, was it. that was like the best deal they could get. So they got what? those ones yeah. and you can't buy those anymore. They obviously Nike took them off yes. the market. Oh yeah. Um, I it. did mm-hmm. see a pair on eBay for an astronomical amount. Yeah. That is, you're no longer, you can no longer get it anymore. I remember it being on the news. It mm-hmm. happened in the richest, fanciest area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get into this, but it was one of the first like forays to me in like, oh, this stuff actually does happen. Mm-hmm. And not just in movies or like Mm-mm. hearing old stories about like Jonestown or like the Manson massacres and the family and all of that. But like this was something that was not only happening while I was alive, but in my hometown. Too. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's still the biggest mass suicide in U.S. history. And we just wow. had the 25th anniversary. That's why. It was coming up and Cindy was like, they're starting to try to talk to me again. And I was like, let's just do my podcast and let's just do that. We'll piece what we know together because we knew things that a lot of the media didn't know and those kinds of things. So, yeah. Let's talk about the Heaven's Gate cult coming into San Diego Mm -hmm. and settling in Rancho Santa Fe. So for anybody that's never been to San Diego, Rancho Santa Fe is in Northern San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very nice. It is the most expensive zip code in San Diego. It is uh, like 98% white. Uh, Very, very, very ritzy. The median income is $200,000 a year. And the houses there are in friggin' sane. So they're mega mansions, Mm -hmm. a lot of like big uh, sports and television personalities have their houses and politicians as well have their houses here. Um, It's like if La Jolla was just sort of more inland 
it's on the other side of the freeway. Um, And so you have like the estuaries and that sort of stuff versus the beach, but it's, it's, it's very expensive. So I just wanted to let you guys know sort of the area of town that they decided to rent a mansion in when the cult came into town. Yeah. Years and years would go by and they'd pick up a few here and pick up a few there. And they went to the internet because they, they, at one point they had to start working after years and years of not working because they ran out of money and they were having to try to blend in with people. And after years and years of being celibate and seeing all these people in normal clothes and men or women, you know, you see what you haven't seen in so long, um, it was starting to really wear on them. So they got lucky and found someone who had a trust fund and gave all of his trust fund. And they found another person that had a, like he was a rancher and he was very successful. So he gave all his money. So that's why they found uh, the housing rancher Santa Fe. You talk about them having to get jobs. Um, They were getting some, you know, obviously people's money, like the trust fund and the ranch and things like that. And you also mentioned the internet. So in 97, the internet was relatively new still. Uh, It'd Mm -hmm. only been around uh, publicly for a few years. They definitely used the internet to their advantage and started a business to fund Mm -hmm. their cult, actually. That's right. We even have, if you wanted to learn Look, the time I'm sitting with you is a tiny little fragment of time. I couldn't tell you the things I know. If we sat for days and days and days, I couldn't tell you the things I know. But if you want to know more about us, if you want, if you can believe what I'm telling you, and you want to know more about it, you can go to Heaven's Gate and the Internet. You can pull down all kinds of stuff that we have written, things that we have done, things about our history. We even have a book that's available to you that you... I'm not going to spend time now trying to sell you some book. But there is a book available that you can find on Heaven's Gate website. And because they weren't doing well out in the world working, because it was just so distracting and they didn't, you know, they were like living like monks. There was a couple guys, people that were really good with IT and good with computers. And they said, hey, let's just offer some computer service to everyone. And that's where they got the rest of their money. Once they decided, okay, we can make a business out of this. Plus we have this new money coming in. This is a good flow. We'll do this for a while. I actually don't think they were in that house a long time. I I don't think they were there more than maybe a year or two. Maybe. I don't think they were there long. It says right here in October, the group began renting a large home, which they called the monasteries. So this was in October of 1996 that they rented the house. But they started renting the house. Okay. So Um, it was only a year and a half, maybe something like that. I knew it wasn't very long they were there. And then it says on March 19th through the 20th of 1997, that's when he taped himself um, his Doe's final exit video where he was speaking about the mass suicide. Then I can be your shepherd. My older member can be your senior shepherd. You can follow us, but you cannot stay here and follow us. You would have to follow quickly by also leaving this world before the conclusion of our leaving this atmosphere in preparation for its recycling, that would have to happen quickly. And he said that, yeah, that the mass suicide was the only way to evacuate the earth because the Hale-Bopp comet, which mm-hmm. hadn't been around for however many long, that's the thing that I remember the most because my dad right. was really into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me, cause we had a telescope. He's like the Hale-Bopp comet, the Hale-Bopp comet with the tail. And we're going to be able to see it. it was a big and so deal. I, I remember yeah. that, yeah. you know, it's like when a few years ago when it was like, there's going to be a solar eclipse and you'll oh, be able to see it through this little, you know what I mean? It's that sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. So that's sort of how everybody was feeling about hale Right. And I just remember Hale-Bopp being like a comet that was going to have a tail flying through the sky and that we were going to be able to see it because it was going to finally be close enough to Earth to actually see it. But these people heard that, that looked like there was something attached to it, assumed that that it was their former former leader who had Mm -hmm. died from cancer, even though part of their whole thing was that you'll never die, et cetera, et cetera. When she died, it was like, it was a a big cognitive dissonance moment for them, I think, when she died. Uh, So hearing this that she's coming back and we can join her and obviously yeah. it worked because she's on the comet yeah. this is the way that we yeah. can join her and so the plan was to commit a mass suicide as hale bop passed over mm-hmm. and that their souls would essentially float up and and meet 
the comet and the spaceship. Because the body never dies. And they would be taken to their next place. Now, this is not to say that we know that there is a guarantee that we will all together go on board a craft in order to leave before the spading under occurs. We will go definitely on board a craft to leave when the spading occurs. You can say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is we don't know if we're going to take these flesh bodies on board that craft or if we'll leave these flesh bodies behind. We don't believe that our Father's kingdom has much need for these flesh bodies, but it's possible that a spacecraft will come down and we'll walk. Yeah, and how they did it, they would take a combination of phenobarbital and vodka and mix it with applesauce pudding or whatever. I think some of them even just drink Kool-Aid. That's where you get the drink, the Kool-Aid. Of course, that was from Jonestown too, but they didn't use Kool-Aid. They used flavor aid. So, and they did it in increments. Like they would do like six at a time or nine at a time. And then it finally got to the last two and the last two took care of Marshall Applewhite, took care of him. He was in the, he was found in the master bedroom uh, with pillows under his knees and just all sprawled out like Christ. Then those two took their own lives and they would put plastic, they even put plastic bags over their heads to make sure that the, that the the combination drugs. Yes. And then the girls yeah. did it themselves. And there was even a gun found in one of the people's purse. And I did, just in case, I think that was, I don't know if that was how, how she felt, but we wonder if that's why she had a gun. Well, yeah. Wow. You, you really never know, right? Like what wow. are these people thinking? So when the bodies were found, there were 39 victims. They were all dressed identical in black shirts and sweatpants. And they were all wearing those brand new um, black mm-hmm. and white Nike decades. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every single person, I think this is very strange. Every single person had $5.75 in their pocket. Just crazy. Where did you get that number? I know quarters were for phones and chapstick and some of their glasses were next to them in case they got up and started to read or you took those to an afterlife. I don't right? know. <laughs> so it says that according to former members, that this was a standard for members when they would leave the home for their jobs. And it was a humorous way to tell them that they had left the planet permanently. So it was their own inside joke. Okay. That okay. When they left each day to go to work, they would take $5.75 like for lunch or anything they would need. And so this was their whole inside joke that everybody was taking $5.75 with them to the next place. Okay. So that yeah. they would have that. It makes sense. Like, yeah. I mean, it's those little things, these little right. idiosyncratic things that. It's just so strange. Like, where were they in their minds? I that like they were like, we need to get five dollars. We need thirty nine five dollar bills. When the first group left, you know, and then you 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 give them all their medicine or lethal dosages, and they're watching their friends die. Where's that cognitive dissonance? Where's that little voice in your head going? This is not good. I probably should take off running, but right? none of them did except, well, there's two that left. And I think one decided to leave right before, but the other one, Applewhite wanted him to tell the world about their story. And I think he's the one that called and gave the tip about everyone being gone in the house, or they may not have been discovered for months until somebody finally said, okay, there's something coming. There's a stench coming from the house. And they were already, you know, it was three days before I think they, they actually went to the, because it took three days for them to all commit suicide. So I think on that third or fourth day, probably on the third day when everyone for sure was gone, the guy called the cops and they came. But, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about, too, when I was interviewing my, you know, the, the feeling that she had and the, the issue she had with her mother, not only leaving her when she was in first grade and watching her pack up the car and not understanding why her mom was leaving and then coming back home because they walked to school back then, I guess, you know, Gen X people, we just did whatever. <laughs> walked to school, it's four blocks away. You're uh-huh. good. Bye. Yep. Take your brother. You know how that was. And when they came home, her dad was home. Who, who, he usually wasn't home by that time. And he was upset and crying and she left a note and the father understood what was going on, but she didn't tell anybody, but their neighbor. So the neighbor knew, never told anyone. And I don't think she told the neighbor until like right before she did it, but still the neighbor could have given him a heads up. That didn't happen. Also the fact that Judy came back for a little while to say goodbye and for like five years, she stayed out of the group and she came back to her husband and her husband was really loved her a lot, was hoping and praying she'd come back and she did, but they couldn't make it work because 
she said, Leslie, it was just so bad. Um, she was such a different person and so indoctrinated. He, she couldn't make it work with him. So he said, okay, we got to get a divorce. That's so that happened. Then she goes off to Texas and marries a cowboy, not even kidding. And I think that's when I met her when she was in Texas. And then that didn't work out. And guess what? She went back to the group, which a lot of people did after five years. But the thing is, and I said, well, Cindy, did you ever ask your mom why she left? And she goes, I didn't. And I don't know why she goes, but I think I kind of know if I asked her, I thought maybe she'd do it again. So I didn't want her to do it again because that little girl inside me didn't want my mom to leave me. And Cindy's never had children and she's my age. She's 55. I said, why did you not? You know, I'm just curious. And she said, I didn't want to be that mom that left her kids because it runs in our family. Not my, I have two kids, fine. But the thought and that, you know, but the thing is, this does not just happen and affect, just like in the, the kinds of corporate cults you talk about, this does not just affect the person that does it. It affects everyone, obviously. But can you imagine the kids, when it all came out, her father and her brother did talk to the media about it. And did a lot of like, I think they talked to Dateline and a couple, I don't remember all the people, but like a few of them and uh, her brother couldn't handle it. And he ended up committing suicide too. So it's, it's a, it's a rough thing for a family. And she's still, she goes, I went, when my mom left, I went so opposite of what I was. I became very religious. Then I became not religious. Then I became just wild. And this is right after she left that second time. It was just, she goes, I became no one, I, nothing I recognized. And I had to bring myself back. And I, it's almost like I had to heal that little girl inside me. And that's why she goes, that's why I never had kids. And she goes, and I love kids, but I just had to heal myself. And she's wonderfully happy. A Reiki master now, massage therapist. She's fantastic. Has a wonderful life, beautiful husband, all wonderful. So she couldn't be happier, but she's was robbed of a childhood. And so was her brother. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So I looked it up because I was curious about how they were found. So essentially yeah. what they did was they created packages and yeah. sent them to the media. Yes. And so it was like people in the media that got these packages. And the and, tapes. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this one guy's name's Rio D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. He He's the one that a, called. Yeah. So he yeah. received mm-hmm. the package on March 25th. And it contained two VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. Uh, One was Doe's final exit and the other was a farewell message to the group. Um, It contained a letter that said, we have exited our vehicles just as we entered them. So this guy told his boss about it Mm -hmm. and they went down from Los Angeles to San Diego and they found an open door and walked into the mansion and he used a video recorder. So he walked mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. And, and recorded the whole thing. Yeah. And and there is footage of that. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's so chilling. wild mm-hmm. to receive mm-hmm. a package. Like, Cause this stuff happens in movies. This yeah. stuff happens in stories. This doesn't happen in real life. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously it does, but uh, yeah. you know, like, to just receive a mysterious package. And when you open it up, it's tapes from people that are like, if you're listening to this, I'm already gone. Like it's so chilling and sinister mm-hmm. and creepy. And it's just wild. It is. Anybody was at a place in their life and in their mind where they were like, this is the best option. Try to just put it as briefly as I can put it and as clearly as I can put it. The, this planet is about to be recycled, refurbished, um, started over as far, not, that doesn't mean it's going to be destroyed. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world, but it does mean that it's going to be recycled, refurbished. Now you can say, well, who are you to say that? And I'll tell you who I am as to whether or not you believe who I am or not is up to you. And whether or not you believe that it's going to be recycled or refurbished is up to you. Now, the purpose of this tape is to warn you that that is about to happen.
Yeah. No, I know. And the thing is, at the beginning, when they all started, there was a bunch of core people that always stayed. Even if they left, they all came back. And you always wonder what was in your head when you did that? Why were you doing that? What was the driving force? And I just believe at the beginning, they wanted to be accepted just like Apple White. And then after that, the, the lifestyle, the I don't have to think, the I don't want the responsibility. Um, I know one woman went through postpartum depression and she and her husband joined at toward the very end. And she was a, one of the ones that committed suicide as well. And she just was literally going through postpartum depression, but they accepted her and they made her a leader and they made her feel important. And they made her feel like, okay, you've got control. I know you just had a, your third baby and you probably feel a little out of control right now. They didn't do that for her. They indoctrinated her so quickly and her husband got out and then now he's a single dad wow. at the time. Yeah. It's just, and you know, and people say, oh, I would never let that happen to me. And I, Hey, I wouldn't either. But when you were at your lowest or when you're at your most confused time, especially in these times, I watched the Diane Sawyer 2020 episode last March when she aired it because it's 25th anniversary this, this year. So Rio D'Angelo, to go back to this really quick, he mm -hmm, gets this package. Mm -hmm. He ends up making an anonymous 911 call tip yes. to the San Diego County Sheriff. And it, it goes like this. He says, yes, I need to report an anonymous tip. Who do I talk mm -hmm. to? And the mm -hmm. sheriff says, okay, what is this regarding? And he says, this is regarding a mass suicide and I can give you the address. And that was at 3.15 PM on March 26, 1997. Mm -hmm. uh, the single deputy who responded entered through a side door, saw 10 bodies and was overcome by the pungent odor. The bodies were already imagine. decomposing mm -hmm. in the hot California spring. So God, mm. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, they found after they searched the whole house, they found no one alive. And then they they left the house until they could get a search warrant. But at the end, they did find all 39 bodies and they were ultimately cremated as well. Right. I actually think uh, Cindy's father has Judy's ashes, I believe. And I got, I got to tell you, Lorraine, who was also one of the first members with Sharon, my mom went to go visit her and Cindy happened to be with her at her house in Missouri. Lorraine said, you know, I'm so proud of Judy. I'm so proud of, you know, her doing what she did. She was doing it for the better of, of humanity, showing people what, what really happened. She was still thinking this is good. And Cindy said, why would you say that to a daughter? You had the only daughter you have living. What about the daughter you have living? And she goes, you know, she didn't want to be a part of it. I'm not proud of her like that. Wow. And that's how her mother was. She was very direct. She wasn't, you know, my mom had nothing to do with it. Thank God. And she, like I said, the sisters weren't that close. They knew each other. They, they kind of grew up together, but like Lorraine would take Sharon and my mom to Lorraine's sister and leave her for a year and go back and get them. Just drop them off. So if pillar to post children, they don't have any sense of, Hey, let's keep the family together. Nobody had that core of what about our cousins and what about our siblings? None of that. So it, they were okay with just leaving, just cutting people off. And that's what Cindy didn't want to happen. So she was like, how can you say this to your daughter? How could you be proud of a daughter who committed suicide in a weirdo UFO cult? How can you be proud of that? And uh, she didn't, she, she didn't want to, she thought that was great. My mom wasn't part of it. So, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't like them. She wasn't one of them. Wow. Mm -hmm. it, it's very interesting to hear that. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And it broke my mom's heart. And Cindy said, you know, the fact that I had my mom once, she left, she came back, I had her again, and she left me again. Yeah. Jeez. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's what screwed her up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Abandonment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So after, you know, the news broke of these 39 deaths, mm -hmm. there were um, a couple other deaths. There was a copycat death of a 58 year old man who left a note on March 27th saying, I'm going on the spaceship with Hale Bop to be with those who have gone before me. Yeah. I remember and he about. was not connected to the Heaven's Gate cult at all. Um, and then at least three former members of Heaven's Gate committed suicide in the months after. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, just so sad. Right. And just, honestly, they, I, they I wanted to be with everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I, it's you know, I think, I think, I think he committed suicide and he basically murdered all of the people that followed him. Yeah. It's murder by coercion. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. If, uh, if a girl can convince her boyfriend to kill himself over the phone and be convicted of murder yes. by coercion, I feel that 
Marshall Applewhite could be convicted of the 38 murders plus the four that came after it as well as a result. Right. Um, Absolutely murder. And it even says in here um, that that Yanya, who is amazing, she's going to come on the show. She's a a cult um, expert as well and a sociologist. She also has referred to the Hale-Bopp mass suicide as a murder as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I believe it. Yeah, yeah. It's just because, you know, you don't, mm -mm. I don't have any um, other nicer words to say, but besides just he murdered those people and he just committed suicide. So he did it very cowardly. And it's all because he had an issue with his own father and he didn't feel accepted. So he grew this group into some kind of ridiculously insane way and had had to make him make them feel the way he felt or you know because he couldn't he couldn't have sex with people he couldn't that was a sin he couldn't do so he made them all do the same thing he couldn't do right he made them do the same thing that he couldn't do and they all said okay but it wasn't it didn't happen right away but by the time he was done they all did the same thing I mean it's it's so sad right and here's another thing in their belief system they were against suicide. The cult themselves were against the act of suicide, yet right. through coercion, mm-hmm. brainwashing, control, Apple White effectively convinced these people yes. that killing themselves wouldn't be suicide. Right. Because they were not medals. actually killing them soul, their souls. They were just leaving right. their human vehicles behind. Right. Right. Because Bonnie Nettles, she never, I don't think she ever would have agreed to this from what I know about her. So the fact that, so, you know, in a cult, you got to make up new rules, right? Everything's a secret and let's make up some new rules. And so that's what he did. That's basically what he did. And, you know, you wonder, was it a suicide because he realized he was so far gone that he couldn't ever admit this is all a scam and I made it all up and it's just a cult. Ha ha ha. Sorry. And so he's like, well, I'll just kill everybody because here's the other thing, right? In Jonestown. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people that were like, no, they were forced to yes. drink the flavor aid. They were. They had guns against their heads mm-hmm. and said, if you don't drink it, I'll shoot you. So yeah. you're going to die regardless. So you choose. And they drank it because they were forced to. Right. These people. This is scary. Were not forced that way. Right. Mm-hmm. They were psychologically mm-hmm. forced over many, many years yes. of this intense psychological cultic abuse yes and everything yes. was always explained away oh yeah as cults do mm-hmm. and rules were changed as cognitive dissonance caught mm-hmm. up to what was happening they changed rules mm-hmm. and honestly i feel maybe this suicide was Applewhite's. he felt his only way out of this massive scam and lie that he had created because he can't say it he'll go to prison uh, and and he can't have any survivors left to talk about him and what a crazy thing it was so Mm -hmm. he's got to take everybody out on the way out right well he's the leader he's the second coming of christ and the fact that he believed that right like i said his father disowning him was the beginning of his derail and i really think it, it did something psychologically to him and he just allowed it to keep festering and because it always bothered him. I think he probably dealt with depression. I think he dealt with so many more demons than we will ever know. And Bonnie was the only one that could bring him out. And when she brought him out, she put all these other ridiculous thoughts in his head. And then by then, he's thinking this is real. His reality was not you or my reality, but he made it their reality. And he was successful at it. And it was it's insanity. It's just the more I read about it now as an adult who understands cult and cultic Mm -hmm. control and coercive Mm -hmm. control and things like this, it is even more heartbreaking than it was when I was 16. Yeah. Stephen Hassan's bite model is very strong in this one. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. go right down it and be like, boom, 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 boom. I mean, yeah. he was obsessed with their sexuality. He was obsessed mm-hmm. with their ability to perform sexual acts. He mm-hmm. castrated people. He turned them into eunuchs so that they could not have sex and be celibate. That is, that's extreme. Well, his father thought it was evil and terrible that he was gay. So I've got to castrate myself. I can't keep these feelings in my head. I can't do that. I, I can't feel sexual towards someone else. It's not, it's sinful. So, oh, 
Oh, and you guys need to do the same thing I'm doing. It, it's it's just wild, and I, I'm so That's why they're happy calling it murder. <laughs> that we live in a society that is growing and understanding and evolving, and is so mm-hmm. much more compassionate. I hope than the, <laughs> the, the generations that came before. Yeah. And hopefully there's a lot of us, again, I know you and I both are very awoken in this, in this mm-hmm. realm that we're waking up to these realities and seeing these red flags and we are ending these stigmas and these generational curses with Absolutely. our generation. Yes. That you're not becoming the mother who leaves. Right. And, you know, my mom, to a point, she left us too sometimes. Not like that, but we were, I think a lot of Gen X kids were done this way, but I mean, I just, she would just kind of leave. And my, my dad at the time, they weren't divorced yet. He would just pick up the pieces until she uh, got her crap together and all the things. Um, But it wasn't all the time, but it was enough for me to go, mommy, don't leave. And I would, she'd be, I'd be holding her leg and she'd be dragging me with her. I mean, I was little, you know, so, and that's a horrible picture already, but you and I spreading the awareness of this because I spread the awareness of all kinds of things, but that's, that's why you have your, your podcast. You're spreading awareness about cults, um, whether it's corporate or this kind of cult, I'm spreading awareness with my podcast with um, all kinds of different things too. sex trafficking. That's another kind of cult. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Absolutely. so it's unbelievable. It's jaw dropping and, it, and it's heartbreaking. You know, <laughs> it's, it's hard for me because on one side, I want to be compassionate and understand that these people are victims. And on the other side, I'm fascinated with mm-hmm. the psychological aspect of it. So I'm always on this, like, is this too much teeter totter? <laughs> like, should I maybe not be smiling right now? Because it, no, it's a fascination I, kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's wild to me. There's so many intersections in so many things that I talk about where I'm like, oh, yeah, that happens in MLM, too. And yeah. again, we're realizing that all of these groups are just high demand, coercive control groups. Absolutely. That, you know, they know what they're doing whether it's in 1997 or it's in the early seventies or it's now, right. The techniques for these things have not changed. No. Other than becoming more advanced and more stealth where we don't even realize that we're indoctrinating ourselves into so many different groups like this, whether they're one-on-one relationships or big communities or whatever it is. Like we don't even see it happening. They make it sound so wonderful though. They make it sound so great. And just like he, he looked so innocent and lovely and everybody thought, Oh, he's so happy and everybody's so happy and I'm not happy. So maybe I should join this group. And it's the same with your MLM stuff. It's like, everybody's love bombing me and telling me all these wonderful things. And I feel like I'm a part of something. And it's the same thing, just different circumstances. That's all it is. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it resulted in 39 people dying or 38 people in, in a suicide. I, I, you said this is really the first time that you've publicly talked about it outside of right. your own podcast. Mm-hmm. So one, I'm sure you're just like, oh, thank God I got to talk about that. But like, how yeah. does this make you feel being able to tell this story now for the first time for real? It's surreal. And you got to understand for years, my mom was so incredibly embarrassed by this. She's the silent generation, but you know, she's brought up and they just didn't talk about anything, right? She would sweep it under the rug. We don't talk about this. It's embarrassing. Um, yes, it's part of our family, but hey, we didn't know them very well. We're distant from it, blah, blah, blah. But it did affect her and it did affect me. Not like, obviously not like my cousin, but it did affect her. And she was approached and she lost her mom and her sister, two sisters for a little while in the cold. She was still a young mom at the time. She couldn't have communication with them. I don't know if she even really tried, but that was a situation where she could not have any communication and that must've affected her. And then when she said, do not talk about this. Now my mom's been gone five years. So when I talked to Cindy, I said, she just texted me one day. She goes, you know, it's 25 years today or whatever. It was last March. She texted me and I said, oh my gosh, has it been 25 years? Yeah, 97. I had a child in 97. Yeah, they will be 25 this September. Okay. And she said, gosh, I just, they're starting to call me again. And she goes, I thought they wouldn't know where I am. And um, I said, well, listen, you know, if you ever want to talk about it and she goes, I won't, I'm not, no, I'm not going to talk. I said, do you ever want to talk about it on my podcast? And she was like, I'll think about it. And it took me, I finally interviewed her two months later, it took her a little while, but I interviewed her and it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's so 
insightful and it really gets, we talk about Marshall and Bonnie and all the things, but we talk about how it affected her and how it affected her brother and her dad and what she went through and what she remembered and the bizarre crap that happened with my grandmother who was so eccentric, but she was funny and you didn't want to like her, but she was weird. And it was just the weird. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing and you don't know her very well. And she's just, and you understand why the other sisters may have gone off the deep end because they weren't, they didn't have a stable life. They just didn't. Right. I mean, even that goes to show because I have also talked to the children of like mega huns, you know, the now adult yeah. children and to talk about that and to see like what they went through as children and how that has affected them now as adults. Yeah. These are like, there are side effects to everything that we don't even know about that yeah. affect every part of our life. Being the niece of a member that was part of a mass suicide, like in a cult. Still like, the biggest one. Yeah, That's, that's <laughs> going to affect you. Yeah. Even if you are not in it, like it's mm -mm. still your aunt and your grandmother mm -hmm. and your family. Mm -hmm. right. And it is still that Bruno you don't talk about. No, my mother was terribly embarrassed by it. And now I'm not embarrassed because here's my thing. And just like we said, we're spreading awareness, but also I think it needs to be talked about in the way of we've got to be very, very careful guys. We have to be very, very careful in, in this day and age because things are happening. I get on TikTok and I follow astrologers and stuff because I, I interview those kinds of people. And some of them, are just awesome and some are going oh my gosh there's going to be this happening it's going to y'all be careful and you're just like okay wait a minute don't spread fear okay don't be doing that i'm not saying they all do it but there's still enough of those people out there that people will go oh my gosh let's let's go let's just start a compound we'll all grow things together and then we'll all just dress the same because it's cheaper and then all of a sudden they're in a cult because we all have the same mind feel of uh the world's going crazy and we can save money doing it this way. And we can all, hey, he knows how to farm. And she knows how to do that. Oh, she's a good baker. Oh, if the power goes out, we can handle this without the power, but we can get some solar panels and he's good with IT. And they've got a nice little, you know, little compound and it's David Koresh all over again. And that's what we have to be very careful of. And, and there's no way to get around it. It's just gonna, that's going to happen. And I'm afraid from what I watched actually with Diane Sawyer, um, and it's been months ago that they had, they aired this, they were talking to some experts and cult activity and like one was from Harvard, one was from some other place, several of them. And they said in today's society, they, they are introduced to so many new cults out there. It's mind blowing, mind blowing. Every time we do an episode like this, or I talk about something like this on social, there are so many comments that are like, will you do this cult next? Yeah. And it's like, I didn't even know, like, it's so much. There's so oh, yeah, people many yeah. cults. I didn't even hear about she goes, cults. We didn't even know about. Oh yeah. It's just, it's yeah. wild. And so, yeah, you know, I love being able to talk to cult survivors or, you mm -hmm. know, people that are in the cult survivor area yeah. about yeah. this stuff, because there's a lot of people listening that were not alive in 1997 and right. maybe for the first time in their entire life, they just heard about Heaven's Gate and are like, wait, what happened? What are you talking about? Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so being able to have a little bit more of an inside perspective and to mm -hmm. sort of break it down where it's not so scientific as like, this is what happened, because I think maybe people see similarities in things that they're in where they're like, uh oh, this is kind of yeah. similar to something that I've been looking into. Oh, yeah. The red flags are the same. It's all the same. And the the more we can educate you to see them coming, <laughs> the yeah. more you can swerve and miss them as they come absolutely. toward you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I just, you know, just be careful out there. And, you know, it's it's a, like anything else, you know, people say, be careful at Walmart, be careful at Target, and there's people following you and, you know, oh, sex traffic. I mean, there's evil in this world. And if you just take care of yourself, and I say that, but it's easy to get go wrong, but I'm just saying there, there are things you can do. I, I'm sure there are things that you can do. I'm not an expert in cult activity. I'm not an expert, you know, like from Harvard, but I do know if you have a strong foundation of friends and family, if they ever say, you know, leave your family, we want your money, all those things, please take a second look. You know, we all have free will, you do you. But if they're saying, no, your family needs to be gone, you need to leave your kids or you need to leave your husband or you need to give us your money or whatever it is, it's, it's a big red flag. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. and I'm, I preach it to the choir. I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? You know, yes. there are people I was told listening. one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and who, who knew, who would have known that you would have been in some kind of corporate cult 
So, and, and these people that, that were in Heaven's Gate, some of them were freaking brilliant. So it doesn't matter if you're not a high school graduate or you're a scholar at, at Yale, it doesn't matter. They focus on desperateness and whatever else, you know, uh, want to belong, a, you know, somebody to accept them. That maybe they're a different kind of person. Maybe they're struggling with their sexuality. Maybe they're struggling with whatever it is, you know, uh, fitting in, just being maybe, you know, some people could be just on a spectrum and don't understand that and all the things. It's it's just, it's important to talk about. And I'm going to have to have you come back and tell your MLM horror stories too, because I know you have oh. them. Thank you so much, Leslie, for coming on the show and sharing your Heaven's Gate experience. I hope everybody learned something new today. I hope they do too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.